When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. I'm your co-host for today, Tommy Garrett. You can find myself over on Twitter, at Tommy Garrett PFN. And joining me, as always, is co-host here and fellow fantasy analyst here at Pro Football Network, Jason Katz. You can find over at Jason Katz 13 over on Twitter. My man, it's good to see you again. We actually have some real football to talk about, which I know for myself, I could not be more excited about. How about yourself? Uh, that's great news. We have been waiting for some live action for months. I know we had the USFL to, to kind of give us a little bit of a taste, but the reality is nothing beats the NFL. And even though these games don't count, and for most of them, we're not seeing starters or barely seeing starters. I, honestly, I actually enjoy watching the preseason games after the starters are gone. I don't want to see the starters. I don't want them to get hurt. But I do want to see these guys that I'm never going to see again just to see if there's a couple guys that may break out or, or to keep an eye on. That's fun for me. Yeah, I, I like this time of year, honestly. Like, I'm with you. Like, I don't need the football to be precise. I don't need this to be a, a clean running clock or anything. Like, I want to see those guys fighting for roster bots. And I like seeing the depth that some of these teams have because then I kept give you a better idea. Hey, if someone goes down, are these guys going to be capable enough to kind of fill out a competitive roster at that point? I, I enjoy the preseason. Like I said, it, I'll get frustrated. I'm already back to being frustrated with roughing the passer and those kind of calls and taunting. Like I'm, I know the NFL is back when it's already getting on my nerves, but we'll see what happens. Like I said, I'm just glad we have actual football to argue about and not just random hot takes that we all crafted over the uh, the winter, summer, and spring. We're going to kick things off here with a little bit of news. Um, I think we'll kick this off in Ravens camp, which was kind of like the the talking point of last preseason because of the injuries. Well, they're getting some guys back. Mainly right now, J.K. Dobbins, who is back off the pup list. Saw the video come out of him running through the bags and doing drills. Personally, it looked like there was still a little bit of a hitch in that giddy-up. Maybe that's just me. How are you feeling on J.K. Dobbins? Are you kind of more enthusiastic about his return right now? Or are you still tempering expectations on what you're kind of thinking his year could be? Because as a whole, typically when guys come back from ACLs, that first year back isn't always the best. I saw the same thing that you saw in the workout video. Um, Dobbins is definitely healthy enough to play, but he's not healthy enough to play at the level that he could pre-ACL tear. There's The biggest issue sometimes isn't even the stability of the knee. It's just it's the mental confidence mental. in making those cuts. And, and I think we saw that last year with like Saquon Barkley, and, and, and perhaps now he's finally getting that confidence back. He looks like himself. Uh, Dobbins, he's more of a straight line runner, which, which does help. But you, you want to be able to make those cuts and feel confident, and Dobbins mm-hmm. is going to have to get there. Do I think he's ready to play week one? Uh, tentatively, yes, but I don't think we see him kind of ramp up into that clear RB1 role until possibly the middle of the season. Yeah, I mean, Dobbins is already a guy we were expecting regression last year. When he when he came off a rookie season leading the NFL in yards per carry with six at six per carry, don't expect that again this year. I would not be surprised if he gets off to a slow start, but he's probably going to have the backfield to himself for quite some time because it looks like Gus Edwards is listed as doubtful right now, according to a lot of reports coming out for Week One. 
we'll see what happens with him, but it does appear that he is a little bit further behind Dobbins in terms of his return. If he does miss any time, guys like Tyler Beatty uh, will be a little bit more of a hawk commodity as a late round uh, selection for drafts if Edwards can't go. Because I know they have Edwards, they like him because he was coming into last year with three straight seasons of 130 plus carries and 700 plus yards. But once again, when it comes back from an injury, we'll have to see what that is. Speaking of another injury, this one's not great for New York Jets fans. Makai Becton, the kind of bit of a talking point this offseason, whether or not they were trying to trade him, there was maybe some internal issues with how the team felt about him. Regardless, though, Makai Becton is out, and I think that's going to be an instant concern when you start talking about the playmakers on this offense. The stability of the offensive line is critical for not just for the NFL, but for those fantasy points themselves, too. How concerned are you, are you cats, right now for someone, especially like for Brees Hall, who a guy we're all kind of viewing as the top running back of this class, been viewed that way for several seasons now. Are you concerned now for him after the Jets lose Makai Becton for the season? Um, a little bit. They definitely improved this offensive line beyond just Becton over the past Agreed. two years. But we got a glimpse into in their first preseason game. Uh, Brees Hall, five carries for 15 yards. Um, didn't look great at all, but didn't really have anywhere to run. I, I do think Brees Hall is the is the most talented running back to enter the NFL in the past two years. But it, it might be a challenge. Uh, uh, you're pushing back a little bit? I don't know. No, I'm just thinking in my head. I'm just thinking in my head. I mean, he's right up there. I mean, Brees Hall, I think Najee's right up there with him too. Um, but it's obviously not the same level of talent as Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor's like a step ahead of where Brees Hall is right now. But like I said, he's he was viewed as the number one guy for the past three years. So I think part of this is just prospect fatigue. But if there's anyone who could be able to make this work without, you know, um, without him on the roster, Brees Hall can pull it off. I think the addition of like someone like Elijah Vera Tucker, when they draft him, I think that'll work out. You still got Lincoln Tomlinson on this team, George Fan on the right side, and also it's uh Connor McGovern sitting there at center. But yeah, it's it definitely hurts when you can lose a a focal point. Makai Beckton is one hundred percent a focal point. However, he's not quite the focal point that Zach Wilson is. Um unfortunately we kind of saw our first preseason injury. And I think we all kind of breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief. Expect after seeing that all of the Twitter doctors that love to jump the gun on these injuries and think they know more than the teams do prove to be exactly dead wrong on this thing. Zach Wilson, after diving for what was trying to be a first down at that point, kind of a little short, ends up getting up, going back down the field. Initial concern was a torn ACL, ends up being diagnosed with a bone bruise. So very similar to what happened to Andy Dalton uh, a little while ago. I think this is a massive side release for, for Jets fans, no question about it. Um, any concerns now for Zach Wilson starting the season off, potentially a little slow? We'll see how he's going to be ready or not. But I think uh, I think we're all breathing a little bit of side relief that Zach Wilson did not lose him for the entire season, correct? Yeah, there's a, there's a chance Zach Wilson just isn't good. It's in his range of outcomes. He could just be a, oh, a yeah. best. It's possible. But we need him on the field because we know – that Mike White and Joe Flacco are, are not about to take the Jets uh, fantasy players into, into the into new heights. Yep. If, if, if these players that are on I the mean, Jets... Joe Flacco was elite, guys, though. I mean, you can't spell elite without Flacco, right? Bingo. Is that how it goes? Um, <laughs> the Jets have a ton of offensive weapons. you got Brees Hall, Michael Carter as running back. You've got um, 
Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore Garrett, Garrett Wilson, Wilson, Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios, even Tyler Conklin and CJ Ozoma. There are a lot of guys on this team. And the only way that we're going to get the production out of as many of them as we can is if Zach Wilson is on the field and ends up being as worthy of uh, the second overall pick where the Jets drafted him. Uh, so to do that, need, needs that knee healthy. We are probably not going to see him uh, in, in week one or two. The hope is that he can come back relatively early in the season. Even if we see him in the first week of October, I think that is a definite win given how bad it could have been. I think the big thing about this too is, look, Jimmy Garoppolo's camp is sitting back there hanging on, waiting for the first major quarterback injury to fall. We thought it happened here. If there is one that happens, look for Jimmy Garoppolo to come in there and be traded and become the starter for that team. And if that did happen, when I put that tweet out, hey, look, if Zach Wilson gets injured and gone for the season, I'm not dropping guys in my rankings, really, when they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think I think it would have been fine. I think the biggest question I had was, it's like when you watch TV shows and old movies, and a kid would get injured, and the mom would put the Band-Aid on and kiss him, and they say, feel better. Whose mom does Zach Wilson get to kiss his boo-boos? I guess that's a question we'll never find out. We're going to move on here to another quarterback who also had a good game in this one. That is Desmond Ritter the rookie quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons came in, played pretty darn well. I think he played better than the box score indicates. There were quite a few drops to play this game. Still goes out there 10 to 22, 103 yards, throws up two tutties. The big thing about him is that he does have that mobility. Six rushes for 59 yards. I like what I saw from Ritter, but I think the overwhelming majority still feel that this is will be Marcus Mariota's team come week one, correct? Yeah, there's no doubt that Marcus Mariota will start week one, assuming that he's healthy. Yeah, barring injury, obviously. The important thing in terms of Ritter is just seeing what he can do if he ends up in the starting role. The Falcons, not exactly projected to be a great team this year. It really doesn't matter how well Mariota plays, unless he's otherworldly. If this team heads into like week 13 and they only have like four wins, they have no reason to not at least see what Ritter can do. And especially Agreed. if you're in a super flex league, uh, Ritter is, is somebody that has, has proven now in, in his in his first uh, NFL appearance that there's fantasy upside there with his rushing and also his passing in the event he ends up in the starting role. So that's, what, that's the most important takeaway uh, that we had from Ritter. I think the only thing for me is, look, if the Falcons are a bad team this year and they have a top five pick, Although you drafted Desmond Ritter, you did it in the third round. If they're sitting there and C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, if one of those guys is still sitting on the clock in front of them, what's stopping them from taking one of those quarterbacks over top of Desmond Ritter at that point? You know, well, I, I think, think there's, there's always a possibility that whatever we see from Desmond Ritter this year, it doesn't even come to fruition if they have a really bad bad season. Yeah, but I think that's why they might be inclined to give Ritter an extended look, possibly over the last few weeks of the season, if they're not playing well. Because, I mean, who knows? Maybe he lights the world on fire, and they go, you know what? We're good. He's our answer. We can we can trade that pick, get a haul for what should be a franchise quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's at least an option. You, you want to give yourself the best possible chance to succeed in the future, and that's just one way that they can do it, just to know what they have. The Falcons are more than a quarterback away from competing. It's similar to what the Houston Texans are doing. You've got to try to rebuild that roster as much as possible. That's one way to do it. Like you want to trade away one of those top tier spots and what is what's, what's going to be an incredible draft class. You could do that. Or you can bring in someone like, a, you know, bring in Will Anderson. Bring in the guy who could be like a number one overall pick if you want to bring in and try to upgrade that uh, that pass rush. 
there was a bit of a scare for the Falcons too with Drake London taking a bit of a knee injury after his only target of the game did come down for 24 yards. Oh, sounds that there is no real concern for moving forward. I think just avoid the scare. I know we're all both very high on Drake London. I've been on this guy for a while. I love his town. He's going to be the number one in this offense. And look, if Marcus Mariota or Desmond Murray can play like they did the other day, maybe Drake London hits that, you know, goes above wide receiver two range, goes into that wide receiver 16 to 20. Who knows? We'll find out. The upside is most certainly there. I think one guy who's always had a ton of upside, especially in PPR leagues at the running back position, probably a little more undervalued than he should have been, especially in those uh, couple year seasons, a couple of bit ago. James White, running back for the New England Patriots, announced his retirement the other day, coming back from injury. I don't think this was a massive surprise from anyone, and it wasn't really looking to be fantasy relevant, but that pass-catching role in New England has always been a useful one. It was also probably the most stable one because you never knew who the hell was going to get the carries on the ground, but you always knew James White was going to get the receptions throughout the air. With White gone, I think it's probably looking more towards Pierre Strong Jr. kind of taking over that role would be my initial lean. Uh, we could see maybe Rashad's uh, Ramondre Stevenson get a little more work. What's your initial reactions to James White announcing his retirement? How do you think this kind of like uh, plays out from this point forward? Yeah, I, I didn't expect anything out of James White. We had heard yeah. uh, a couple months ago that, that his recovery from his offseason hip surgery was not going uh, as well as they had hoped, and he was likely to start the season on the pup, possibly missing half the season. And at Those his hip age, injuries are ruining careers. Yes, like, they absolutely are. I mean, Go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Hips and necks. Yeah, that's what, you, that's what you want to avoid. Hips and necks. Uh, but but James White, 30 years old, debilitating injury. My neck. To call it a career. My back. Sorry, uh, go ahead. PG program, Tommy. Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, but uh, another move the Patriots did make, though, uh, in anticipation of not having James White, is they signed Ty Montgomery. And yeah, yeah. There, there are there are three candidates right now. You mentioned one in Pierre Strong. Uh, the other one is Ty Montgomery. And then, of course, there's Ramondre Stevenson. I think all three of them have the potential to be the primary passing down back. Now, what I don't think will happen, I don't think we're going to see a timeshare in that role. Because uh, pass protection is too important and receiving is yeah. too important. They're not going to just rotate guys and pick whoever to be out there on third downs protecting Mac Jones. Someone's going to win this job. And whoever that is should should at least be considered a fantasy like RB4. And I'd like to figure out who that is within the next couple of weeks. Uh, with, with the Patriots not playing any starters in this first preseason game, we didn't get any sort of glimpse into what things looked like with Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevens, and even Montgomery didn't play. All we really saw was Pierre Strong. And, and Kevin Harris, who had an inefficient uh, nine yards on six carries with with a short touchdown. Uh, so a lot of running backs here, a lot of possibilities for who will get this role. We'll have to see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think ideally we wanted to be Pierre Strong Jr. I think he brings the most upside for this team. But we'll kind of see how things move forward on that front. I do want to keep it in this exact same game, but kind of move over to the other side of the sidelines for the New York Giants. Colin Johnson had himself a bit of a game comes down with seven of his eight targets for 82 yards. I, I think you brought up a very interesting port kind of in the uh, in the pre-production meeting for this, kind of talking about what the the significance of this. I think most people, when they look at Colin Johnson leading a team, they wouldn't think too much of it, especially on a team that has, you know, several wide receivers that are already ahead of on the depth chart. I, I'd like to give, give us your thoughts on the takeaway here of Colin Johnson actually having a pretty darn good game in this first preseason game for the New York Giants in 2022. Oh. We know what the Giants' starting three looks like uh, 
when I want to say when everyone is healthy, but at least probably in week one, which is Kenny Galladay. So we did not see it all last year. <laughs> yes, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony on the outside with Wondell Robinson in the slot. But that's here's what I Colin, also. Here's why Colin Johnson's interesting. Based upon his usage in this game, I believe that he has surpassed Darius Slayton and he's now the wide receiver four. Uh, Sterling Shepard would certainly start if he's healthy, but he's recovering from a torn Achilles, and we don't expect him out there for week one, possibly going to start the season on the pup list. So we have three guys in front of Colin Johnson stopping from getting fantasy value right right away. First guy, Kenny Galladay, who neither of us is particularly high on. Uh, I mean, I watched him play in this game. Kenny Galladay, to me, looks like one of the worst receivers in the NFL. I don't think he is good anymore. I'm not sure if he was ever good. I really, truly believe that. Uh, but I have no interest in Kenny Galladay. I, I actually believe there is a chance he could lose his role on this team due to his poor play. Then we I, have I actually, I have Kadarius Tony as the number one receiver on the New York Giants. He's my highest ranked receiver in fantasy on the Giants. So, so yeah. we're in lockstep there. I mean, I, I, I'm out. I'm done with Galladay. Now, Tony, the issue is, I am not going to be one. I mean, I'm taking Christian McCaffrey second overall with confidence. I'm not one that's going to say fade guys because they might get hurt. And Tony doesn't go in the first round, so I'm, I'm, you don't fade him for that reason. But this is a player who missed time in, in his rookie season with five different ailments. He, I mean, I don't know if I can remember them, but I know he had COVID. He dealt with a, a quad ankle. issue. He had an ankle issue. He had a hand issue. And there was one more. I can't remember it, but there, there were five of them. And now he's currently not practicing at training camp because of an undisclosed injury. So he's entering his second season, and he's got all of these issues. I, I, you can't help but notice it and at least consider the fact that perhaps Tony will miss time this season. And then someone's got to play that outside role. It's probably not going to be the, the 5'8 rookie, Wondell Robinson. He's, he's a slot guy. And again, also a rookie. We, we, think he's gonna, we think he has that starting role. But what if he doesn't? Uh, what if they trust Colin Johnson more, the, the third-year veteran, even though he's, he's a four- and fifth-round pick? He's been in the league for, for, for two years. This is his third season. So I, I think that there are multiple paths to Colin Johnson ending up as somebody that you find in the waiver column like in weeks two or three. Uh, so he's just a name, a name to monitor. And the fact that he put on a show and proved that he can produce when given the volume, it's all the more reason to just remember his name going into the season. I think it's a good thing to remember because when injuries start popping up, like I said, if, if that starts happening, depth charts are starting to get thinned out. Who would be those waiver claims earlier that week? I think Colin Johnson will be a name we'll probably want to keep an eye on out uh, when the season comes. I'm sure you'll probably see his name mentioned at some point uh, moving forward. Kind of taking a step here and looking at another running back. We kind of got our first look at in the NFL because of the lost year last year due to the injury. That was Travis Etienne finally getting onto the NFL field. Nine for 23 on the ground. Doesn't really get much going through the air. One reception on his three targets for 10 yards. What were your thoughts on Travis Etienne finally getting out there? For me, it was just, all right, cool. He's on the field. I'm not going to take too much from it. I'm still waiting to see what actually happens. What were your thoughts on Travis Etienne? Because I'm pretty sure you had some opinions on this game. Uh, Well, the first and most prominent thing is is the the clip that uh, many of us have seen at this point of Travis Etienne staring down a wide open hole between the tackles, perfectly blocked, and then going full Trent Richardson and saying, no, 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 I don't want that. I'm going to bounce it outside and get tackled for three yards. By the way, That's- some of us, pointing at myself, are not surprised by this. It, it's it's definitely a concern. And for someone like Tommy, who's watched way more film on Travis Etienne in college than, than I have, this this is this is not necessarily something that's new. And it is an issue that some running backs face transitioning from the college to the pros because – 
the, the, the talent disparity in across all collegiate teams, there's so many more players. So, so these guys like ETN can just blow past linebackers on the outside, where in the NFL, not as easy to do that. So you kind of got to take what's blocked. And in this case, this wasn't just like he was getting six yards. He was going to score. I mean, that was a wide open hole. With that said, on the other side of the coin, Travis Etienne was on the field for the first 20 snaps of this game. Now, I know James Robinson was inactive because he's still recovering mm-hmm. from his, his torn Achilles. But the fact that Etienne was out there for all three downs and at the goal line means that the Jaguars are willing to use him in that role if the situation presents itself where they need to. And that just raises Etienne's ceiling even more, which means he's, he's not just this uh, guy who takes some of the carries and mostly is receiving back. He can be a complete three-down back. Of course, if he has too many episodes where he's missing the hole like that, he's not going to have that job very long. But assuming he can get that corrected and they can, coaches can work on that in the film room, uh, Etienne's upside now, for me, is higher than it was before I saw yesterday's game. The one thing I will say, just because someone has a three-down role does not mean they're going to be efficient. I'm looking at you, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's, that's one of the things. Because Travis Etienne, at times, you go back and read my profile I wrote on him when he was coming into nail, so when he was still at Clemson. Questions with vision, contact balance, and then at times his strength would kind of leave him and he wasn't breaking through a ton of tackles. So when you're trying to run him up the middle in goal line situations, he's going to naturally struggle. Uh, That's where I think someone like Snoop Connor or even James Robinson kind of comes into play. But hey, look, you give him enough shots in the end zone, he's going to fall into it eventually. I would just glad to see Travis Etienne back out there. Kind of keeping in the same game, too. Interesting on the other side of the field, Jerome Ford got a lot of work. 10 carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Also caught four or five targets, 45 yards, and another score. Underrated running back coming out of Cincinnati. Played well this year in what was their best season by far ever as they made the kind of college football playoffs. Just a name to keep an eye on right now. Kind of going into that competition with him and Dearness Johnson potentially for that number three spot. And then more so like in 2023, We'll see what happens, but look, so much can change for someone who doesn't have a ton of draft capital, but just an interesting name to watch and a guy who just did have a very good performance. I think another interesting one here, it's not so much what guys do, sometimes what they don't do. Isaiah McKenzie, I think, is a very interesting one, something that me and you both brought up. Interesting because Isaiah McKenzie did not have a single target. However, what he did do was he was playing with the starters. In contrast, Jamison Crowder, who did have a target, was playing with the third-stream players. I think this is a massive concern. I think it tells us a lot and kind of collaborates with what we heard in the preseason during training camp that Isaiah McKenzie has actually probably surpassed Jamison Crowder and could be that slot receiver, in this case, be that number three receiver for fantasy football for the Buffalo Bills. Are you kind of pulling the same thing away from this one? I think this is going to be the uh, kind of the inflection point in what tips the ADP scales. Because for a while, Jameson Crowder's ADP remained ahead of McKenzie. No one was really buying into this. Despite all the, the noise we heard about McKenzie practicing first before Crowder, because Crowder was dealing with an injury, and Crowder returns to practice, McKenzie still plays ahead of him. And now we saw it in action. Bills rested their starters, which included Isaiah McKenzie. Jameson Crowder played. Now, listen, I will say, Jameson Crowder was out of there very early. Uh, even even with when the second team started to really get in there and and play more snaps, Crowder they pulled Crowder, so they do view Crowder as above most of the guys who played. I do also think the fact that he's newcomer to the team and that he has been hurt, maybe they wanted to get him a little more action. Although the Bills are not ones to typically play starters, 
But I believe that McKenzie's firmly ahead of Jameson Crowder. And the reality is, I, I like both these guys. Whoever's starting, I want him. Uh-huh. Ask McKenzie. Yeah, um, I'm I'm kind of with whoever's starting. Like, I kind of want that player. Like, it's going to be it's, – it's so long as it's not a competition back and forth and they're kind of weaving guys on and off the field. Look at the last three years for Cole Beasley in the same role. 106 targets in 2019, 107 in 2020, 112 targets in 2021 with 82 receptions in this previous two years. Whether it's Jameson Crowder or Isaiah McKenzie, they're both going to be a more efficient version of Cole Beasley in this exact same role. Like I said, hopefully it only goes to one. It's not just split down the middle between the two of them. That's going to crush all fantasy upside. I moved Isaiah McKenzie up last week when we got this news. He's sitting around that wide receiver 60 to 65 range, roughly. Not someone I'm starting right now, but someone I'm very much interested in. And that kind of plays in line with another guy we're kind of looking at here. That's going to be Isaiah Pacheco running back for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Had a great combine, comes in, doesn't get the draft capital, but my God, this guy has been one of the stories of camp. Once again, I don't know if he's going to be fantasy relevant, but it most certainly looks like, are we looking at maybe the RB2 for the Kansas City Chiefs, Cats? Am I reading that correct? I, I, I hate to buy into like training camp noise, especially when it comes to like day three picks, and even more so when it's sixth and seventh round picks like Isaiah Pacheco. I know we yeah. saw this previous years when it came to darwin thompson but the reality is darwin thompson was just not a particularly good football player and that that was you should be able to see through that whereas pacheco i mean his his film has some impressive stuff on i know that he had a low yards per carry in college but Rutgers' offensive line was was dreadful uh pacheco has the skills to be an nfl player and the chiefs seem to see that and what and what we're seeing from Andy Reid, the signals they're sending i mean they're not putting a seventh round rookie out there with the starters on third downs, on passing downs with Mahomes, unless they actually believe in him. I think that Pacheco may Pacheco's have run blocking was unquestioned coming out of college. And that's what's been one of the things that has shown out so much in camp. You mean his pass blocking? Yeah, pass block. I'm sorry. All right. So if Pacheco can pass block, he can definitely win that, uh, that third down role. And I think another thing to take away from this is – I mean, we heard all the talks coming out of college at LSU that Clyde Edwards was receiving back. Uh, no, straight up, no. They used him in that role as a rookie, and then you know what they did? They sliced his target share in his sophomore season. Why? Probably because they don't think he's good enough. And based on what we've seen in, in the preseason game and what I think is going to happen this season is we're going to see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at best as a two-down grinder. Hopefully he gets goal line carries, uh, but he's going to be pulled on third downs just like he was last season for Darrell Williams. I, I- I think at this one, like, let's turn this to just the fantasy aspect with drafts coming up here. At what point, like, when are you comfortable drafting Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Like, when we start looking at the list of running backs, it's getting to the point where it's going so low, I'm going to have a hard time probably feasibly ever drafting Clyde Edwards-Alaire because I'm guaranteed there's probably going to be one person that likes him more than I do. That's my hope. I know we had an interesting uh, situation in one of our recent mocks where I was trying to not draft Damian Harris, and yeah, all of us were the also same trying to not draft him. And he just—I literally had them next to each other in my rankings for right. that reason. At, at some point, I'm willing to take him, but it's got to be a point where, like, I really just think that there's no downside at all. And I mean, every time I look at my rankings, I end up pushing Clyde Edwards-Helaire like a, a little bit lower, I know. just because I, I don't believe in it. I, I think that the best case scenario is he's a two-down grinder who gets goal on carries. If he gets that, then yeah, uh, on the Chiefs, he could end up having a 2021 Damian Harris-like season in an outlier campaign. But the reality is, like 
take Damian Harris's 2021 where he scored 15 touchdowns. You drop that down to 10, he would have been a mid RB3. So what are we hoping for from CEH? We're hoping for what? That he scores 15 touchdowns? What if what if he only scores 10? What if he scores seven? I mean, even even if he is the primary running back, a, a rusher, he's still only going to produce RB3 numbers at best. I want that receiving upside. And I don't believe it exists with a guy who ironically was pegged as this great pass catching back. Yeah, I mean, not only that too, but look, he's just struggled to stay on the field. I mean, CEH has missed 10 games over the last two seasons. I've got him as a low... RB3. I have a hard time keep pushing him down further front because he is a starting running back in the NFL. But it's getting to the point, not just with the play of Clyde Slayer, but the the play of Isaiah Pacheco playing so well that I'm just kind of worried for the overall role and value you're going to get back. Just on that same game also too, Tristan Abner looked good. Not a guy we're going to have fantasy relevance. Um, he's going to be the competing that RB3 kind of role behind uh, Khalil Herbert pre- seems pretty solid in that role, but I need to keep an eye on maybe more so in Dynasty. If you want to go out there and pick him up, add him on your on your uh, roster right now. Be a cheap ad with a little bit of upside. Not so cheap, though, is going to be George Pickens, wide receiver of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who is another one of our guys who kind of just won the week, and we thought it was worth bringing up here in this episode of the podcast. The dude's legit. I, it's, I don't know what else you want me to say. I think we all kind of knew that dude had that dog in him when we saw him like standing there in his living room. He had the mask on, just watching the TV. Like, yeah, that's going to be a guy. And guess what? He is that guy. I think it's weird. I, we we did the thing of bold takes uh, not so long ago here at Pro Football Network. And one of mine was that George Pickens would lead the Pittsburgh Steelers in receiving yards uh, in 2022. It's so weird after one game that doesn't even feel like a bold take anymore. Like it just feels like, okay, yeah, I could see it. It's just matching everything we saw on film at Georgia, everything we saw so far in the summer and OTAs and in training camp. And he goes out this weekend and just has a fantastic freaking game against Seattle Seahawks who also play well on their own too. Saw a couple good catches, but none better than the little toe tapper in the back corner of the end zone on the best ball Mason Rudolph has thrown it's probably in his entire life. Um, so, yeah, I think George Pickens, absolutely fantastic. The Steelers quarterbacks, whether you want to call it um, Mitch Trubisky, you know, Kenny Pickett, or even Mason Rudolph, I think they all played really well. Um, what's going to be interesting to me is that I do feel like it is Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starting quarterback for the Steelers come week one, although it has not been announced yet, obviously. I can only imagine how long it's going to take or how quickly it's going to happen if he plays poorly until the chance of Kenny, Kenny, Kenny are raining down from the stands by the fans. At some point, they're going to want to see this kid on the field. The Yenzers love their hometown heroes, played at Pitt. What's he doing his very first game out there in the NFL? Not only does he go out there and get a touchdown, he throws him on a game-winning drive. It's He played fantastic. So did uh, Jalen Warren as he's fighting with uh, Anthony McFarland with that RB2 kind of role for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That primary backup behind Najee Harris, which is something fantasy managers want to keep an eye on. If you are drafting Najee early on, knowing the touch volume he's going to see, you probably want to know who the number two is on that one. Um, And then on the Seattle side, look, all the quarterbacks played well. I was fairly impressed with Bo Geno Smith, Andrew Locke. I think they both had their moments. Neither are going to be fantasy relevant outside of two QB super flex leagues as like your QB three, 
but more so the impact that these guys are going to have on facilitating towards DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant, and also how how well they do in the passing game is going to dictate how much teams can stack the box against guys like Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny because that's another dynamic we're not even entirely sure how that's going to shape out. I like the ball. I like on both sides of the ball here. Do you have any thoughts on the Steelers and Seattle games before we move on to another one? Uh, you pretty much covered all of it. I mean, I think that Geno Smith has been the presumptive leader for the QB one role in Seattle all summer. And I don't think that Geno did anything to lose that. Uh, Locke certainly did play well. And I would be stunned if both of them didn't make multiple starts this season. I just don't see a world where the Seahawks will be good enough where they're going to justify not making a quarterback change as they lose. I mean, if you remember a few years back, when the Bucks just hot swap between James Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick seemingly every two or three weeks. I think we can see something similar. Uh, Geno should start week one. I think that he maybe gets three or four games. They give Locke a chance. Uh, it's no better. They go back to Geno. I, I can easily see that happening. I, at this point, the, the, Steel, the Steelers just looking to get through the season and draft someone next year. Do you have a preference on who you would like to see win that QB1 job just for the most fantasy upside for everyone else around him? I believe that most people would say Drew Locke, but I want it to be Geno Smith because I believe that Geno Smith is the better quarterback. And uh, in, in order for the Seahawks to score fantasy points, they need to convert first downs to stay on the field. And Geno gives them the best shot at doing that because he protects the ball better. I think it's fair. That's fair. Uh, you could argue Drew Locke had a little bit of a raw deal out there in, in Denver, but at the same time, when he was on the field, you got to put up numbers and you got to put up or shut up. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting. I think Geno probably does bring a little more stability Lock gives a little bit of that wild card mentality. We'll see how things play out up there in Seattle. We're going to take a stop here down in Tampa Bay. Not talking about the quarterbacks or the wide receiver, which have been the stories of camp. And we're not even going to hit on the tight ends. Let's look at the Bucks RB2 job behind Mel, behind Leonard Fournette, by far the number one running back on this team, who is a second round pick. I've seen him go even higher, close to that one two turn. For some that are very high on him, I know, Cass, yourself, you are very high on Leonard Fournette this year, rightfully so, coming off what he had last year because Lombardi-Lenny looked really good. The number two spot's been a little bit up for debate, but it does seem like Rashad White has the inside track coming out of uh, Arizona State, does get seven carries for 32 yards, also catches two of his three targets for 13 yards, which is kind of where he brings that value coming kind of on both sides of the ball. But Keyshawn Vaughn, though, had himself a decent day, too. And I think it's we don't want to necessarily completely write him off yet for the new hot commodity in Rashad White. Keyshawn Vaughn does get 10 carries, only 19 yards. That sucks. But he does end up scoring a touchdown uh, during the game. Uh, but you got to put it's all context. We're not always going to give him some number one starters, number one defenses. Uh, he also did catch two, uh, both of his targets for 22 yards. Are you feeling this is more of a competition still, or do you have one lean one way or another for who you think is actually the correct handcuff if you are selecting Leonard Fournette in the first couple of rounds of your fantasy drafts coming up here in, about, in a couple of weeks from now? I think that everyone is going to take Rashad White as the presumptive RB2 because he is the second most talented running back on this team. I think we all agree on that. However, uh, I got to see a little more from preseason because the reality is uh, Rashad White didn't take a carry in this game until Keyshawn Vaughn and Giovanni Bernard both had plenty of theirs. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that Giovanni Bernard started this game, Vaughn came in second, and White came in third. I understand White's a rookie, and I know that we can't read into any sort of like usage at this point, typically because White's the rookie, so he's so he's last. I, I get that, and White's performance, I would hope, 
would push him up the depth chart. He should be that RB2. But the reality is uh, Giovanni Bernard is a, is, a, is a trusted veteran. And I think that if Fournette is, were to get hurt, we could be looking at a scenario where Vaughn is the two-down grinder and Gio plays on passing downs and Rashad White is kind of just left left out of, of, of the left, left out left out of the game. And I and I'm, yeah. I'm I have a concern about that. And I do think that fantasy managers who draft Rashad White are gonna see him on their bench and he's gonna have he's gonna average about two fantasy points per game for the first four weeks, assuming Fournette stays healthy, and they're gonna have no choice but to drop him. And it's going to be unfortunate because, I mean, Fournette is probably not going to play 17 games. And when he gets hurt, of course, Rashad White will immediately be a hot pickup. Uh, but you're going to be forced to drop him because there's going to be other pickups weeks one and two. And you just won't be able to justify hanging on to Rashad White, hoping that not only does Fournette get hurt, but if he gets hurt, White becomes the guy who benefits. So I think there's there's a lot of moving pieces right now. Especially that's that's a lot of take in, especially for a guy here looking at drafting and like in the, the 10th round, which is not a that's not a freebie. You know what I mean? You kind of still need to make sure you're doing well with those middle round picks. I lean uh, Silver Shod White, but don't forget, Bruce Arians had a lot of complimentary things to say about Keyshawn Vaughn last year at the end of the season. Great, he's not the head coach. Still going to have some input on that whole situation. Uh, one of the interesting ones, like I said, not so much what guys did, but what they didn't do. Traylon Burks, in a game where Tennessee rested their starters, including Robert Woods, who was returning from his injury last year. They also rested Nick Westbrook-Akine. Only one wide receiver who was selected in the first two rounds of last year's draft played in the third quarter. Traylon Burks only played in the third quarter. He also played in the fourth quarter, which is, for a guy who has had nothing but media headlines thrown at him from asthma to being out of shape to forgetting routes, can't catch the ball, the guy can't catch a break in terms of how much people want to read into a lot of things. He only had one target in the game. I'm not worried about it personally. I'm not I'm not worried about it at all. Do I think Robert Woods still probably could end up as the number one receiver on this team? Yes. But am I overall worried about Traylon Burks because he played in the third and fourth quarter? Not really. I think he'll be just fine. I mean, are you taking away a lot from this one, Katz? No, I, I just think that it's difficult when it comes to rookies because even teams that rest starters historically, they'll play their rookies even if the rookies are presumptive starters, I don't really see a world where Traylon Burks opens as the wide receiver three on this team. Is he really going to be behind Nick Westbrook-Akina? Like, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say Woods is the one. I mean, he's been my pick to be the one throughout since the Titans got him. But Burks should be the two. And in two receiver sets, I expect to see Traylon Burks out there. On the Titans' offense, is he, is he likely to have a Jamar Chase-level year? No. But no. It should, should Burks find his way to, into a fantasy-relevant role? I, I think so. I think he'll at least be like a wide receiver four in fantasy. I'm, I'm not I'm not fading him because he played into the fourth quarter of the first preseason game. No. And also, this is not even meant to be a slide in Nick westbrook Keena, who actually had a decent year last year when the Titans, Titans had no one else when both Leo Jones and A.J. Brown were hurt. Ends up with, uh, I think last year, like 38 receptions on just under 60 targets for around 475 yards and four touchdowns. He's a serviceable wide receiver. But he just doesn't have the upside of Traylon Burks. I want to talk about a player here who's just lost a ton of upside instantly in the fantasy community's minds in Antonio Gibson. We have been massive fans of Antonio Gibson. I think everyone has always wanted him to kind of be that, be the running back we think you can in a certain sense, because we know how good he could be, but it just doesn't seem like Washington is ever going to let him be great does have four rushes in this game, but that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue 
is not only did he have a fumble in the first quarter, but when they're going in there to score that touchdown, it was not Antonio Gibson. It's Brian Robinson, the battering hammer from Alabama. Got six rushes, 26 yards, don't care, but he scored the touchdown. This is what this guy does. He is a short area guy, one cut. I'm going to put my helmet through you and try to run your soul through the back of your body. That's what he does. He's going to be a menace for Antonio Gibson on short carries inside the five-yard line and goal to go. I He's going to severely cap, I feel, Antonio Gibson's upside. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of getting the same takeaways from this weekend. How concerned are you for Antonio Gibson for 2022? Um, simply put, very. I mean, Gibson was one of my favorite Perfect. picks last year. I wanted him everywhere. I believe in him. I believe in his talent. I still believe in his talent. But it doesn't matter yeah. if I believe in his talent if the Titans don't. And every message that they've sent us since last season is they don't believe in Antonio Gibson's talent. They, they, they Jaden McKissick was as good as gone, and they made sure to to, make, to, to bring him back. So th- there, there goes Gibson's receiving work. Okay, so at least he'll be the two down, two down running back uh, who gets all on carries. And they draft Brian Robinson, who, by the way, third round pick. I know it was a, a compensatory pick, so it was later in the third round, but it's still third round is third round. He has the same draft capital as Antonio Gibson. I would not rule out. Brian Robinson straight up taking the lead runner job with McKissick and Gibson ended up ending up being the backup. I mean, Gibson is just falling out of favor with this team. He fumbled. He was benched after that. And then Gibson came back in the game with the twos and Robinson was protected. He wasn't in the game anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, there's a lot of concerning things. And I, I remember talking about this like seven years ago when referring to fading Amir, Amir Abdullah and basically saying that, what do we have here? We have a two down running back who doesn't catch passes and doesn't get goal on carries. That is the worst possible archetype of, of archetype of running backs. And it's ironic it was a real because now he's a receiving back. But yes, that's that's who it was back in my like 2016. And that's what we have now in Antonio Gibson, who may not even be a two-down back. Uh, so at this point, it is really hard for me to ever feel confident enough to push the button on Antonio Gibson. I've dropped him into the high RB3 range, and even that is starting to feel a little bit high. Like, I mean, I'm looking down here at someone who I have at, at the bottom of the RB3 range, and I'm looking at, like, uh, um, let's say, Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, who are, you, who are you taking at this point, Tommy? Stevenson or Gibson? I actually, I have Roger Stevenson over Antonio Gibson. And this, this is exactly what I'm saying about I, I, have, I may not have dropped Gibson as far as I'm going to by the time the season I'm also starts. a little higher on Roger Stevenson. I have Roger Stevenson at 24 with, with Antonio Gibson at 25. Oh, so you, you are you are higher on Stevenson. At this I think point. it's more I, so I, me just being a little bit higher on Roger Stevenson and you so being a little bit lower on Antonio Gibson. But I also have not necessarily – I haven't corrected for what all took place this weekend. This is kind of where I left off and where I was at the end of, like, on Friday before the games really kind of took Nor have I. Uh, either way, though, I'm concerned about and uh, concerned about Antonio Gibson. Um, do you have any thoughts on the Cardinals RB2 situation? We kind of saw Darrell Williams out there. We kind of saw what this team is looking to do. I don't get the Eno Benjamin hype. I'm still leaning on this being Darrell Williams. Like I said, Guy didn't really play. Neither did James Conner. They're kind of protecting their first guys. This seems like Darrell Williams is going to be the RB2 behind James Conner, which is important because that's a guy who kind of has a little bit of injury history. Are you kind of reading this the same way? Yep, same thing. I think Darrell Williams is the clear RB2. I want nothing to do with Eno Benjamin. He's a seventh-round pick who didn't play last year, even when Connor and Edmonds were out. Um, he's just he's, he's never a player that's going to matter. That's just how I view him. And uh, Darrell Williams is clearly someone they value because they didn't play him in the game when they rested all their starters. So I think he's, he's the RB2, and he's someone worth drafting in the, in the 
end, at the end rounds of your fantasy drafts. And then a couple more quick notes we're going to hit on here. We kind of already hit some like some of the big topics. Trey Lance, good at football. Shocker to no one. Uh, but Danny Gray, he really had a good connection with him. Catches two of his four targets, 99 yards, and that touchdown. This is very much going to be the Brandon Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel show. I think Brandon Mayuk at value might end up being the better pick. We'll see how that kind of plays out. Danny Gray is going to be in line in there for that number three kind of role. On the other side of the field for the Green Bay Packers, Romeo Dobbs, seven targets, does get that touchdown on 45 yards with three receptions. I think he is that running that wide receiver you wished um, uh, Christian Watson would be. Um, Isaiah Spiller playing with the fours. We'll see kind of what we take out of that whole situation just because it's it's preseason. We'll see. I think the thing that we do take away out of this, I think Damian Pierce has asserted himself as the RB1 in Houston. I think at this point, it's no longer necessarily the competition between him and Marlon Mack. I feel at this point, it's probably going to be Damian Pierce we see lining up behind Davis Mills in week one. Do you kind of have a similar takeaway? Because look, Pierce looked great this uh, on uh, on Sun on sorry on Saturday. I've had Mack ranked ahead of Pierce for a while now, not by a lot. I mean, not at all. I just thought Mack would open the season as the starter, and then Pierce would eventually work his way into a timeshare, possibly flip it. Uh, I'm I'm. I switched it just now, like yesterday. Uh, Pierce, he just looked too good, and I just I don't see why they would try to force Marlon Mack down there. It would come in, I know he's two years removed from the torn Achilles, three years removed, but they drafted Pierce for a reason, and he looked good. And if he is capable of being that lead back, why wouldn't it be him? I, I'm I'm in on Pierce now completely. Yeah, I had Pierce, I had Pierce ahead of Mack, but I had them both kind of lower down rankings because they were probably going to cut away from each other. But if we're going to have a clear number one in Damian Pierce. He will be moving up. It's I don't think he's probably going to get too much ahead of like the low-end RB3 kind of range just because it's probably not going to be a great offense and very conducive to a lot of red zone carries and opportunities. So we'll kind of see. But I do like Damian Pierce over Marlon Mack right now. I think that's going to be the, the clear path that the Houston Texans will move forward with in 2022. But that's going to wrap up today's episode of the Premier Fans Football Podcast powered by Pro Football Network. If you enjoyed today's show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. It is greatly appreciated as it does help the show grow. And also stay continued and up to date with all of the news around the league by heading over to profootballnetwork.com where you can find all the analysis covering not only fantasy football, but breaking news from around the league, college football, betting, and the NFL draft. And speaking of the NFL draft, it is never too early to get your 2023 mock draft started but head over to ProFootballNetwork.com forward slash mock draft. Send us over those screenshots of how you think this season could go and what you want your favorite teams to do come next April. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13 and myself at Tommy Garrett PFN over on the bird. Speaking for Jason, I am Tommy. We will see you guys with another episode of the show.